Welcome to Crossing Over, a conversation where we are looking and listening with curiosity for God's presence in the stories of sacred scripture and in our own lives. I'm Daniel Lucas. And I'm Sarah Nichols. Let's go. There you go. We, have, we call that one a, that's called a false start. That's <laughs> false what I'm start. calling it. Okay. What are we doing? You want me to start over? Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. Okay. Today we're continuing our conversation on the priestly blessing found in Numbers 6, 22 through 27. And we are on verse 25 today. May Yahweh shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, can we just read the whole thing? Yeah. The blessing? Yeah. Do you, do you want me to or do you want to? Uh, why don't you? Yeah, all right. Uh, so may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord cause his countenance to shine upon you and favor you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and grant you peace. Amen. That's a different translation it than is. what we were expecting. I I uh, I forgot that that um, this this one goes with favor. Same word. Just. Mine actually says favor too. I it just does? <laughs> I just said gracious because I like it better. I um this is a fun exercise because you see how different translators choose to translate things different. Like uh, yours said countenance, yeah, and mine says face. Um, and did yours say shine or did it say something else? Yeah, shine. Shine. So we yeah. still have shine. It's light. The same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's dive in and okay. talk about um, particularly the may Yahweh shine his face upon you. Um, okay. I'm in. To start. Um, one of the things, unlike on the most surface level, I found that like Robert Alter and many others um, claim that this is an idiom to make his face to shine upon you or countenance to shine upon you. Um, and that show, the shining of a face towards someone is a showing of favor or affection, which makes perfect sense. I mean, hopefully you've been lucky enough in this life to have walked into a room and had a person whose face lit up at your presence. Um, maybe it was a parent or a child or a um, spouse or loved one, another loved one. Maybe it's your dog. I know my dog's face lights up when I walk in the room normally because um, because he's happy to see me yeah. like he's like my humans are home this is so exciting it's the best day ever I have seen the big dopey look mm-hmm. yeah I mean dogs are like great at this because it doesn't even almost any mood they're gonna greet you at your door that's so interesting too and I'm a dog person not a cat person mm-hmm. Do- it's like dogs it's loyal love yeah and and I think you're, I, I mean, like, I love that. Like, that's a, it's a picture of, of, of what I think, how God is disposed towards us. You, we, we walk in the room and God's like, hey, yeah, it's my humans. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I just, I'm laughing at the fact that here, there it is, guys. We just compared God to a dog. <laughs> but but I think there is something so genuine in the way that, that dogs tend to greet us, to greet their people. Um, it reminds me of uh, William Paul Young in The Shack, where 
God says, oh, she's especially my favorite. Yeah. And it says that about literally every human. And it, like I feel like that's how like dogs are. Yeah. Like, oh, it's my favorite. Oh, right. this is my favorite. Right. And it doesn't matter if it's me or my husband or my son or my daughter. Or the dog is always happy when someone comes home. Um, Even when uh, they're with strange humans for a while, like if they stay at my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Well, I'm a dog person too, so I like to think that maybe there's maybe there's a bit of the image of God in dogs too, even though we don't get that explicitly in Scripture. I think we do. I know in the Genesis, right? It, it, it's humans that are made in God's image. There's some shared thing about being fruitful that, that right that the the creatures and the humans have, and there's a distinction. But I'm always going back to Psalm 19, and the, so the the heavens. What is it? The heavens uh, are are telling the glory of God. I've got a Bible. I've, all the Bibles I have open in front of me today are strange translations. There's it's strange fire. I like it. Um, the heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day, pour forth speech. Night to night reveals uh, knowledge. There's no speech, no words, no voice. Whereas, you know, his voice has not heard. And then Romans, Paul talks about how creation itself is yeah. telling. So I think, like, um, dogs are telling part of the story or part of who, bearing a little bit of who God is to us. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. I know it's a, it's it's not quite perfect. It doesn't yeah. say, God, you know, creatures are, but I'm, I'm there. I, All right. Okay. Well, we digress into a conversation about dogs, but we always um, digress. Uh, Could have called the podcast digre- digressions. We have clearly revealed ourselves to be both dog people. Um, but if this is an idiom for showing affection, then this is also the in this within this blessing, God is telling Israel about His affection for her, as well as her, His grace towards her. So, I I love that picture of this being about affection Mm. for his people as well. It's more than just his glory shining down on us, so to speak. It's also a sign of affection. But I don't think that's all that's going on here. Um, one One of the Jewish translations I saw translated this as, may God illuminate his face on you, which I really liked. It just added another dimension of shine. And I think... So we are in Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and this is like the first week it's, well, it's the second week that it's actually been spring-like, and it's May. (laughs) So walking outside right now and feeling the sun on your skin feels absolutely incredible after a very long winter and a very cold, what should have been a spring so far, cold and rainy and windy and that's a picture of illumination to me that the sun, th- that feeling of the sun on the, on your skin and how just amazing that feels when you haven't really seen much of the sun or the warmth of the sun specifically for a long time. We do see the sun here. It's just not warm for most of the year. Sure. So, um, yeah, I, yeah. Do you have anything to add to that? I, well, I, I think that that exactly is the, reason why this is so potent and maybe you know if, maybe if we try to figure out how and why things last or you know th- things become meaningful to people mm-hmm. or why it's chosen in the first place 
there's a, a thing that every human everywhere for ever, or at least as far back as we know, has experienced that makes that that explains what this means. Because we all know what it's like to feel the sun on our face. Mm-hmm. And we all know that we don't always feel it. Right. But we do know that even when we don't feel it, it's there. So it's one of these like idioms or metaphors or figurative ways of speaking that reveals deep truth in a, univ- I think you can say universal way like this. And it actually even just to go back to Psalm 19, it's the heavens declaring the glory of God, the significance. We have actually the sun that is imparting to us that which is most deeply true about God, which is God, sh- God's, God is shining on us. <clears throat> yeah. I, I have a, a quote, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a Rashbam, a grandson of Rashi, um, French medieval commentator, rabbi. Um, Rashbam, his, his grandson says, he's that what's happening here, that countenance is panim, which is related to uh, paniti, which is in the expression, I will look with favor on you, mm-hmm. which is literally, I will turn toward you. Uh, or going further or inverting it, he will not hide his face from you. Yeah. It's, I, I think this is talking about a universal disposition of love and favor towards towards people. Yeah. And it being a blessing is that being put on them. But I don't think it's a put on them as though, well, it wasn't on them already or that they had forgotten, right? It's that they had turned through the course of life. We forget this. Right. Bad things happen. We think God doesn't like us. I mean, that is so elementary and I think that also is universal. I think that's everyone's experience is when life doesn't go wrong, we wonder what's wrong with us or how we're being punished or whatever, right. which is just a, it's an unreconciled and unredeemed and unhealed way that makes total sense, Yeah. Um, but of looking at existence or life. Well, and I think if, um, let's take a couple minutes to go back and look at the origins of these words, because I think we're going to really see what you're talking about if we do, when we do that. Well, let's go. Where are we going? Um, to Genesis 1. What? I know, it's shocking. Um, Genesis? So, both the word shine and the word face are first used in Genesis 1. I mean, almost immediately. Um, shine is the word or, um, not and or, but in Hebrew, the word or means light, shine, illuminate, um, We've talked a little bit before about how Hebrew, there's root words, and then, like, depending on how you conjugate it, it can be a noun or it can be a verb. Um, That's how or is. Um, So, when God says in Genesis 1-3, let there be light, he says, va yomar Elohim yahi or, and God said, let there be light. It's the first thing God speaks into existence. Light. Is light. And if you keep reading in Genesis, we find out that this is not the sun. Um, it's something different because the sun, moon, and stars aren't created until day four. Right. So, day one, the light of day one is something different than physical light that we know. Um, but that is 
I mean, the main source of light, the source of all light. Hmm. Um, and so that's our first example of, of shine or light or illuminate. Um, and then face, panim, also shows up um, actually even before light does. Um, oh, yeah. Because it's it actually shows up five times in Genesis 1 through 2. Um, the darkness is over the face of the water. God's spirit is hovering over the face of the water. The birds will fly across the face of the heavens. Then there's another phrase, on the face of the earth. Um, I think what I, what I was looking at and seeing was that in Genesis 1, in the creation narrative, the, surf, the face is the surface of something. Hmm. It's what you see. It's how a thing presents itself to the world. Because um, obviously, like God is not a human like we are humans. He doesn't have a face like we have a face. So whatever his face shining upon us is, it's not like two eyes and nose and a mouth and a chin and cheeks and a forehead and ears. Like we think of a face, it's, but it is representative of his presence to us mm. um, in some sort of way. Yeah, and disposition. Yes. To to be turned away or to not be facing something <clears throat> either means you can't look at it, won't look at it, or don't know it's there. Right. Because in order to see someone's face, you have to be – they. if you're in their line of sight to see their face, you're in their line of sight. Hmm. So you might not be completely staring like – back at them like a mirror totally face to face but you have to be within their range of vision in order to see their face and if we want to see the full expression of someone's face we do need to be staring at them head on to see both sides of their face to be fully present right um and in addition to just face panim can also mean in front of or before um which carries that face to faceness Right, that's the like the it's 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 that's how it functions as an idiom, right? It, right. It means <clears throat> literally right. is face, um, but it will so frequently be translated as before, over, or in front of, right? Um, facing, right? Then it, you're like, oh, okay, you see how the the words kind of connect together? Absolutely. We, it, it works the same. The word works the exact same way in our language. Right. Yeah. There's something essential about being face to face that kind of that supersedes language again all human experience right i would i would wonder and i don't know how you'd ever prove this or figure it out but i would wonder if there is a um if there's a culture where this isn't true oh yeah like is there a culture where looking you know uh, um yeah yeah i don't know. I know i know when i travel in certain parts of the world I don't make eye contact like with women because I'm respecting the culture that I'm in, but it's actually a sign of respect <laughs> to not, yeah, to not turn. Well, cause even there there's being face to face with someone, uh, it, there's, an there's an intimacy happening. And so you don't, you don't have the right to look face to face to a woman who's not your wife right. or your like immediate family. Yeah, I even I was on a bus a bus from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and there was a mom with a little girl, 
and my understanding was always that this rule applies later, right? Like while, while kids are under 12 or 13 or, you know, kind of before adolescence, the rules don't really apply. Right. So right. I just, but I, but I'm my, when I, when I travel, I just cue. I'm just like, well, I'll just watch what everybody else is going and I'll, I'll respond and be deferential. So this little girl was deeply interested in my attention and like wanted to like make faces at me. And anyways, mom got, mom got real mad at her. Um, and then like glared at me <laughs> like I, and all I did was just not be like, I, I just smiled. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, anyhow, face to face, face to face. Um, mm. so there's our first, our first interaction with face is it's not people it's the face of the water um the face of the heavens the face of the earth um but then in genesis three and four we see face several more times and the first this is related to what you were talking about about turning away and hiding in three eight uh, after eating the fruit adam and eve hear god and they hide themselves from the face of God. So they're, um, there's something that shifted for them when they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil that made them think they needed to hide from God's face. Whereas before they had had this intimate face-to-face connection with God, and now they're hiding from his face. Um, in 4.5 we have something similar happening with Cain. So, um, and that Cain's story is so interesting. So when, after he's given his uh, offering to God, and so has Abel, God, we're told that God regards, gives regard to Abel's offering, but he does not regard Cain's. And we don't have time to get into this, but um, it's one of the more difficult passages to translate and to understand because, we're not giving any reason why, um, but we see Cain's response is that his face or his countenance fell. So he was, to me, this seems very sad. Like he's he's sad and disappointed that why did God's face, or why didn't God regard my gift? Um, which to me, so it feels like maybe there was a real genuine heart in Cain's offering, but we really don't know because it doesn't get fleshed out for us. But what we do see is Cain's face falling. And this is the way, like if you've ever been around kids who have done something that they shouldn't have done, they often their face is down or or when they've, um, maybe a better example is when they've gotten in trouble for doing something they shouldn't have done, hmm. they'll, they'll drop their face. They don't want to look at you. Um, so there's this really similar thing happening that, like Adam and Eve hide themselves from the face of God. And when your face falls, what are you doing? You're, you're not looking at the person in front of you anymore. You're, you're lowering your eyes, because, lowering your gaze. Yeah. Why don't you look at the person? Because you're ashamed. Right. And, um, and what don't you want to see? I mean, I don't want to see their face. Right. I don't want to see their disappointment. Right. So Cain does this in, um, verse five, and then there's a whole interaction with, with God that we don't have time to go into. Uh-oh. But we have to notice 
that we yep. th- I th- but Go gotta notice that um, God is still talking to Cain. So whatever whatever it is that's happening here, it is not that God is has ignored, pushed out. That God has stopped looking at Cain. So Absolutely, there's, right? There's something going on. Yeah. That actually, the text has no interest in explaining to us. No. But it's not that God dislikes Cain. Absolutely, and there's even if you look at the words that God is saying, it's like, why are you? Why are you angry? Why, why are you sad? Fun? Why is your face fallen? There's a genuine, like, what's wrong? Right. Like, tell me about this. There's a desire for connection with Cain in this moment when Cain's face has fallen. And God knows what's going on with Cain. Cain right. is, again, this is like the, all of the questions when God asks questions in Scripture, I, it, I would suggest God's not looking for information God's looking for self-disclosure from the person that God's asking the question to that reveals who themselves, where they are to themselves, right? So when yes. God says to Cain, why are you angry? It implies, do you know why you're angry? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this discussion happens and then Cain kills his brother and God then doles out the consequence uh, for Cain's actions, and he's he's told oh, I don't have it in front of me, but um, he's basically told he's going to be out wandering, and that's kind of it. Right? Can I poke? Yeah, poke at it. I I, I agree with everything you just said. I just don't think God doles out the consequence. I think I, God's describing the consequence. Cain yes, is, right. That's and much I think better you think way. That. That's a much better way of saying yeah. it. Yeah, um, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, it's funny how our language, like, but but what I think just happened is, so right, like I'm hearing you say this, and I'm like, but she doesn't think that, and I'm like, I don't want to put. No, I'm like, no, we got to talk about this. That that yeah. God's not doling out punishment, but how embedded that is within us, because right. I'll find myself sometimes shorthanding a story with these inaccurate old old ways yeah. of or shorthanded ways of reading it that I totally don't think. Right. But it just comes out of me naturally. Well, that's why I like I didn't use the word punishment. I used the word consequence because ah, our actions right. have consequences. But I don't think God's punishing Cain. I think right. he's just he's just laying out like this is this the, what happened. This is the consequence of your actions because you did this. This is now yeah the reality. Yep. Um, and so God has said, you know, you you're going to be damned from the soil um, because your brother's. Blood is crying out to you from is the that soil. Fox? Fox says damned. It does say damned. Hmm. Um, which opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you wish to work the soil, it will henceforth give you give its strength to you. It, or it will not henceforth give its strength to you. Wavering and wandering, you must be on the earth. And Cain's response to Yahweh is, my iniquity is too great to be born. Here you have driven me away from the face of the soil, and from your face I must conceal myself. God doesn't say that. Right. God, everything about there is the soil. How the soil is going to respond to you because your brother's your your brother's blood is crying out from the soil. So there's an impact that the soil has with your relationship to the soil. There's nothing about his relationship to God. Right. And I would, and I would just, it's not even the soil that's changed. It's Cain. Cain can't look at the soil because yes, that's where, how can you not look at it without seeing the blood of your brother? Right. So, but it's Cain's response to say from your face, I must conceal myself. And this is Cain's choice. 
just like it was his parents' choice to hide their face from God when God came, Cain is choosing this as his punishment. He's putting a punishment on himself that wasn't a part of the consequence. He's heaping an extra thing on himself that does become a punishment that was never supposed to be a thing. He was fully capable of staying face-to-face in relationship with God after this incident. I have no idea. We have no idea how Cain is here, right, when this all happens. Right. But Cain sounds like a modern-day teenager. (laughs) Sure. Where discipline or correction Mm -hmm. is interpreted as punitive action from an authority. Right? Like, I don't want to get in trouble. You're not in trouble. You're just... I just don't want you to die. Right. Like, I don't, these, like, uh, a moment gets intense and they, inter- an intensity in moments where someone already feels guilty or shame can be interpreted as unloving. And there's some work there, of course, to be done for, you know, uh, us or those who, you know, do this sort of parenting or disciplining or leading. But it also represents, there's just a certain way of looking at the world where, where shame triggers you to think something is other than it is. Right. Yeah. It's so interesting that this is where the conversation went. It it, it inverted to like um, an inversion of God's face or the experiences where we don't allow God's light to shine on our face or we think it's something other than light that is emanating from God towards us. Right. Well, and I think I, I think it's important for us to see the flip, and that this this did not come from God. This came from us and our choice. So if we are not face to face with God, it's not because God can't be face to face with us. And this, by the way, important to point out, this is after the so called fall. Like both after Adam and Eve uh, eat the apple, it does not use the word sin there. By the way. Um, God comes to them to be face to face with them in the garden, and they're the ones who hide from him. After they are driven out from the garden, God's still in this crazy intimate relationship with them because we, otherwise he wouldn't be having this conversation with Cain. That The so-called sin of eating the apple did not remove God's presence from us. And and even Cain's sin of killing his brother, and this is the first time the word sin is used, um, but it's sin is crouching at your door, and you're capable of overcoming it. <laughs> right. um, so even we, right after the the so called fall, we have a, a words in scripture that say you you don't have to be overcome by this thing. Um, and God is still there in relationship, and even in Cain's consequence for his actions, the consequence of his sin isn't removal from the presence of God. That's something he brings and speaks onto himself, um, which means that like God, since the beginning, even after the so-called fall, has just been waiting for us to turn back around so that we could see his face shining on us. His face was always ready to shine on us and illuminate. We just have to turn and look at him. Yeah. Have you ever seen the gospel in chairs? No. Uh, I'm going to, I'll post it, but it's basically, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes and I'll show it to you. Uh, maybe I'll splice it in here. I'll do some editing and I'll 
take some of the audio, but it's this way of demonstrating God's disposition towards us and God's not disposition towards us with chairs. And the whole point of it is you have turned away from God and God continues to to move God's face to look at you and you continue to turn away from God. Right. Like it's, this is the situation. And I, I love this sort of notion, right? Like who's being reconciled to who in scripture? Is God being reconciled to humans? Is it God that needs, right? Is Jesus appeasing God and making peace with God in such a way that God can, oh, I can finally look at these scoundrels. Or is it, no, we're being reconciled. We're the ones who are being healed. We're the ones who are being restored, right? Like the parable of the prodigal son. It's the father is waiting, watching, so that when the, he sees the son a long way off, he runs to the son. Right. It. I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's all over scripture. I've wondered, like one of my favorite ways to pull the parable, that parable apart. I'm sorry, I interrupted, but um pull the parable apart is to go, did God see him turn around at home in a far off land? Because God sure seems to come to us while we're in a far off land where we are. And right. So my mad, in my mind, God's running all the way to where the, 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 the sun is. Yeah. And just wrapping him up and carrying and walking home. I mean, there's Psalms that, where can I go from your presence? Where right. can I like, Nowhere. You can't hide from God's presence. You can hide your face so that you don't have to see the illumination of his face shining on you because you're you're ashamed, you're concerned. But the reality of the situation is that whenever we do screw up the courage to turn and face God, he's right there right. with his face shining on us with love. And um, an affection towards us, and I want to, I want to suggest that there's like par- like we we bump into paradoxes all over when we think about this, and of course we do because God is bigger, larger, other than we are. But I would I also think of it in these terms: when we turn away from God, it's a little bit of a impossibility because where, like you just said, like where can I go from? Your presence, and so suddenly, what we've ter- what we've turned towards is also a space where God will show up, can show up, and will show up. And will we have to turn away from that? Of course, we will, right? Like, but we and we, as we turn back to God, oh, there you are, you are ever before me. You're uh, just this like sweet, sweet way where the reality of Psalm one thirty nine: Where can I go from your presence? Where can I hide from your spirit? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the if I go to hell, you're there. If I fly to the farthest reaches of the sea, there even there your hand will yeah mm. so good yeah uh there's one other verse that i a piece of scripture i think was interesting and it's the yeah. actually the lectionary for uh well last sunday yesterday uh john 14 so jesus is um is this is sort of we're, we're in like the the we're in the emotional, we're in the passion, we're in this, um, things are heating up. <clears throat> and um, where is it? John 14, 9. Oh, yeah. Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and yet you've not come to know me, Philip? It's like, <laughs> and then here it is. He who has seen me has seen the Father. 
So you want to know what God's like. Jesus is the the one who represents this to us. Or as like what's it, Colossians, he's the image of the invisible God. We have this way in which like, and of course, Jesus says he's what? The light of the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it all just sort of wraps into each other real, real nicely. Yeah. <sighs> That's what I get. Uh, are we keep going here? Or are we, we ready to pivot into? I think we can pivot into okay. gracious. Thinking about graciousness, um, and I have uh, Robert Alter has done. Um, he's got a book called The Art of Biblical Poetry. And um, one of the things he says is a marker for when you're in poetry and scripture is is this parallelism that that it functions, where you have um, some some version of successive lines, usually two, sometimes three, where they are where they'll elaborate or embellish or almost translate itself. So if we just take that and we we bring it into that we take that idea and we bring it into this the priestly blessing and then the line we're looking at the lord um make his face shine upon you or his countenance shine on you and and be gracious to you or in favor you i want to i want to just put out there that God's face is a graciousness of God, right? God's face shining on us is graciousness. That that is, it's not not gracious. It's not harmful. It um, it's 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 a good thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. Agreed. And and the experience of graciousness in Scripture is. It, it's always bitter at the beginning, or it always has a layer of this, of this bitterness. Um, I'm not a huge chocolate person. I'm not a not chocolate person. I like chocolate. But I love this, what you have with chocolate is it's fun. It's actually bitter. It's a, it's a, it's, and right, like the older somebody gets and the more, you could say refined their palate becomes or the more trashed it becomes by, <laughs> you know, whatever. But right, like they they will frequently move towards more bitter chocolate or adults, right? Like coffee and beer or whatever. Like we uh, generally speaking, again, generally, we leave Mountain Dew behind. <laughs> uh, now I have been purchasing Cherry Coke Zero later. Do you think Coke could sponsor us? <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry. But, but if you want. Um, <clears throat> anyways, there's this experience of, of difficulty or bitter that's embedded in this experience of God's grace in our life, which I would, you know, for, um, for those who, who have Jesus as our, uh, our, our leader, our Lord, the one we follow, the cross is the perfect example of this, right? You share in my suffering, you share in my life, this, this, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but uh, if we look at if we go to First Samuel, do you have your you got your full Bible there? Yes. If we go to First Samuel one, do you know where I'm going? Yeah. Uh, Hannah. Hannah, right? Whose name literally means grace. Grace. So, what does it mean for the Lord to be gracious? Well, let's go ask. Let's go look at one who has been, um, whose name is 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 grace or is graciousness or her name is his favor. And when we meet her, um, <clears throat> and I'm starting here, one eleven, First Samuel one eleven. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got stuff in my throat. Oh Lord of hosts, if thou wilt. Indeed, look on the affliction of thy maidservant and remember me and not forget thy maidservant, but will give thy maidservant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come on his head. So two things, right? You've got her name's Grace. We're talking about Grace. But also this whole chapter of number six, what we've been talking about before we get to the ironic blessing is the vow of the Nazarite. So you've got like Hannah's story being anchored deeply in the text of Numbers 6. Yeah. What do you think about that? You got anything? Should just no. keep going? Yeah, keep going. Okay. So so we see her here. We see, her, we see graciousness in deep distress. She says she's in deep affliction. Um, but where is she in her deep distress? What is she doing? She's praying. And she is in Shiloh. She's at the... Um, not the temple, but the tabernacle where the where the, 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 the place is. And so she's there praying, and the priest, Eli, um, is watching her pray. And uh, verse 13, Eli thought she was drunk. And then in 14, Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. And I just love this notion that Sometimes we misunderstand people's pain. Mm. You see them and you, you, you see their actions and you think it's one thing when it's really another. Yeah. Their anger. Um, and, and, and what's been missed. And sometimes it's, we even miss it ourselves when we're in these spaces, but we miss that it's sadness and heartbreak and pain that bring these things up. And I love here that Hannah's being honest and she's she's asking, asking for relief. Uh, verse 15, Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I'm pouring out my soul before the Lord. And then uh, after that in 17, Eli says, Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you've asked of him. And then Hannah says, this is so good, let your maidservant find what? Grace. Grace, favor in your sight. So she went away and ate, and her face <laughs> was no longer sad. And th- right, like this is one of those passages where it's like, boy, you could like look at Eli's ability to heal her by seeing her and look at how even after Eli mistakenly reads her he can still enter into her her, her healing right he misdiagnoses the problem and he's still allowed but i love that what she's asking here is let let your let let graciousness find 
grace. She's asking to be allowed to live her name. She's asking to be allowed to live into who she is or who she's named um, to be because right now she doesn't find that to be true. Yeah. So our experience of God's graciousness, our experience of God's face shining on us is recognizing that there's always a point place way in which we are experiencing life outside of that. Mm-hmm. And that it is the shining of God's face on us that, that changes things. Yeah. What I do? Nothing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just, there's, what Hannah's about to embark on, like she's getting the gift of a child, but a child that she's going to have to give up. And um, because that's part of the deal. And this child, this is Samuel, the book's mm-hmm. named after, um, who will be the one to anoint the first kings of Israel and to help guide the first kings of Israel. So this is one of those essential moments in the trajectory of God's story playing out in the world. Um, And that is what we see with grace, like multiple times, like the first person in scripture is Noah, who's who's the favor of God Hmm. is found on him. And then he's asked to do something insane and crazy and really difficult. Um, and then Joseph in his bitterness of being sold into slavery by his brothers um, finds favor or grace in the eyes of Potiphar. And um, if it, that eventually leads, like he ha- ends up with a bunch of responsibility, but then he ends up in prison. And then again, ends up with a whole bunch of responsibility, saves his family. It brings salvation to his whole family and helps move God's story along. So every time someone in scripture has the favor of God put on them, it's moving forward what God is doing and asking them to engage in something that is not going to be easy, which is so opposite of the way that I was taught to think about grace. Um, Hmm. Like Ephesians um, 2.8, for, you know, Grace is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no man should boast. Right. Um, but I, if you read on to verse 10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for which God prepare, prepared in advance for us to do. So while th- we get the grace before we've done any of that, the grace isn't put on us because of anything we've done, but it doesn't, once we've received the grace of God, things are going to get asked of us or the story's not over. And I don't think it means that if you don't do it, that you don't receive God's grace. We receive God's grace no matter what, but acting out of that grace, we are then asked to be a blessing to the world. Um, so it's not just for our own benefit. And so we can just bask in the fact that we have a gift from God that we don't deserve. Mm-hmm. It's the, okay, well, what do I do with this gift? And that's the example we have in Noah, in Joseph, in um, in Hannah, and and I mean Mary, same thing. Okay, well, because 
how does the angel greet her? Greetings, you who are favored, favored by one. God. Yeah. Right? And then, of course, Mary's Magnificat is uh, is a large portion of Hannah's song that Hannah will sing a little bit later in First uh, Samuel. And the gr- and right in the graciousness um, that God looks uh, is looking on her on favor is the precursor to a pretty big ask. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I'm... <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and she's troubled at the statement. She's not troubled by the angel, the right. The angel shows up, and the first word out of angel's mouths, uh, it, you know, it's greetings. You are highly favored, and her right. response is to be concerned about that because she knows she knows scripture. She knows what happens when God favors people. Yes, it's not. It's not. It. It's. It's. There's a burden. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. Yeah, I. Okay, two things. One, this is less, this is just fun and maybe a little mind-blowing and also opens the door into how scripture can work. That's really different than I think either of us grew up with. Um, One of the, I don't remember who I was reading, but one of the rabbis or one in the Midrash, uh, there's a a play on words here because um, Noah the first one to be favored or to have that, right? That's, that's right. That's yeah. his, uh, Noah is, is Hannah spelled backwards. So Noah is nun, uh, hate, chet, and Hannah is chet nun. So there, there's this idea that these two, that Noah and Hannah are playing off of, there's something happening here. Wow. I've never, I've never seen that connection before. Yeah. It, that's, and this is part of how scripture works. Then there's these things that we're unaware of, but if you, but it's even visible to you if you can't, if you're not reading in like Hebrew, because you can thread the words or the ideas like all oh, favor, favor in Noah and favor in Han- Hannah. And it's like, okay, connect these things. Right? right? Yeah. Love it. <clears throat> okay. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, I, I've been thinking about how, what has to be true in Hannah for her to make good on her promise after Samuel is born. Right? Because a lot of us say a lot of things when we're in desperate places. I mean, that is about as human as it gets. And then out of the desperate places, a lot of backtracking. Yeah. A lot of backtracking. Hannah doesn't backtrack. Right. Why? I have a theory, an idea, because Hannah recognizes that her name is not for herself. I love that. It's for the future. It's it's for the sacred future. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's either that or she's afraid of being smote. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Maybe both. I I think it's yours. I I don't think she's a... What we see in her is not a person who's full of... um, Who's full of... like she's acting out of fear that there will be a consequence if she doesn't follow through. I, I, I think she's acting out of concern, care, participation in the sacred future. And she's doing that because she's her experience at Shiloh with Eli, with the birth of, of Samuel has fundamentally changed her. It, it transformed her, um, matured her whatever you know pick your 
your label, but it's done a thing in her where, um, what's the, uh, the, the St. Anthony quote? He says, I used to fear God. Now I love him. Mm. And this idea that she, tr- she trusts that what she needs will be provided. And so she can give back to God and not be afraid that she, she will be impoverished after she opens her life up to God. Which then puts her like in an Abraham. This is a Mount, there's a Genesis 22, uh, Abraham bringing Isaac to Moriah, and whatever's happening there, you see Abraham willing to relinquish this, this thing that God's given him um, back to God. Yeah. There's an offering up of our lives. That's what I got on this. Okay. I um Can we talk about Jesus? <laughs> yeah, well. Always. I always in so I was looking I thought we were. Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously. John 1, 14, uh John 1, 14 through 17, it, it we're told that Jesus is said to be full of grace and truth. Uh. And I just I was thinking about what does what does it mean that Jesus is full of grace and truth and um I was thinking that, so like others before him, God's grace is on him, on Jesus, but he is full or complete in it. He doesn't just find grace in God's eyes as those examples in the Old Testament and and then in his mother Mary. He is full of grace, perfected in grace, mm-hmm. um, and he's about to carry out the most difficult thing. Um, even though this is at the very beginning of his story, but his whole life is going to be living out grace. Hmm. Nothing's going to be easy, and especially the end is not going to be easy. Or really, it's not the end. It's at the end of his on-earth life, but it's just the beginning. Uh, yeah, I mean, we just, right, like it is finished. There's a... Yeah. It's, there's a, yeah. That's interesting. I've never... Um, this is part of why I love these conversations, why I love studying with, with friends, why I like reading Bible and community, reading reading scriptures together. And <clears throat> because I've never thought about that phrase, full of grace and truth, as um I've as being tension. Um grace and truth often feel opposite of each other. Mm. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Yeah. Uh, speak the truth and leave the, my, my therapist at a coaster in his office. Uh, and I actually think I know who gave him the coaster. Um, I, <laughs> anyways, speak the truth and leave the room quickly is what the coaster <laughs> says. <laughs> Which is so true. Now he has one that says, uh, I'm not going to say it. It's... Uh, <clears throat> graciousness is often seen as oppositional in our in our view of the world. Right. A gracious person never says anything that's difficult. That's not gracious. I, I, I don't think that's true. Right? But but right so we have Jesus being full of grace and full of full of truth. And I love the order. 
and you had alluded to this or you talked about this earlier, right? It's it's the um, it's grace is first. You have not merited it by your works. God's favor in your life on you. This is Ephesians, right? Mm-hmm. We're in Ephesians. Is not, but that doesn't mean you don't have to do anything. Right. The the grace in your life trans it it moves you into being loving presence. You experience loving presence and you become loving presence. And we don't become perfectly loving presence. So if it's not working out fast enough as you'd like or you got some hiccups and you're still, you know, you're still struggling with ABC, XYZ, hey, there there's a club we got jackets. Um it's right like we're all doing that. We're all working out this healing, this salvation tentatively it's in in truly difficult ways it's hard but it but but we get the order wrong we get it twisted right right so you have the grace that invites us into participation not we we participate and so then we get grace because then of course that wouldn't be a gift that would be something else right right i this also this takes me back to our first week, so two weeks ago, um, on when we were talking about the introduction to to the priestly blessing and the purpose of it isn't just so that the children of Israel, the Hebrews, can just sit back and bask in the glory of God. The purpose of it is so that they move forward and become a blessing to the nations around them, blessing to the rest of the world. That's the whole point of this thing is so that it spreads out from them and it's not limited to them. And um, and that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus right. is full of grace and truth. And then that, tr- that grace is a gift bestowed upon us so that then we keep moving this story forward. We keep moving the blessing of God forward to the world. It's the uh, – we, we return to John um, – and I think it's John 6, 5, 6, or 7. Um, I won't be able to find it fast enough. Um, but it, Jesus critiques the he, – he's getting into another tussle. Here's the grace and truth. And he's saying, listen, you are not children of Abraham. You're slaves. And they're like, we've never been slaves. We're children of Abraham, which is like – Wait, what? Um, but then he's saying, like, you, if you were children of Abraham, you would do the things that Abraham did. But you're trying to kill me. And I love, and like, this isn't a Christian critiquing a Jew. <laughs> right. Like, right, we read it that way now because we have 2,000 years of, of junk between us. But this is, this is, This is a Jesus giving a hard word to his own. This is not anti-Semitic. And by that, I don't mean um, this has not been read or interpreted or applied in anti-Semitic ways or has not been used as a way to like create these divisions. it, It has. The scripture is frequently, historically, always been weaponized. That's part of the heartbreak of it, right? They, we, we get it twisted. We get it wrong. We hit, we hit people with it instead of healing people with it. Um, so I, I'm con- uh, th- uh, that is true. But I think what's really important to notice here is Jesus is, they're arguing about what it means to be faithful to, to Yahweh. That's what Jesus is 
the dispute with the Pharisees or with the priests is fundamentally about faithfulness, what faithfulness looks like and doesn't look like. I'm nervous. I'm nervous about what I just said because I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be, I don't want to be misunderstood that I don't think Christians have taken, especially John, and used it to do terrible things, to justify terrible things, um, because that is true. But I don't think Jesus here is is doing what they've used it to say or do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And the, uh, I found the reference. It's Perfect. John 8, um, 8, kind of 31 through 59-ish is where the conversation is happening. So for the curious. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate that. What else? Uh, I don't know. Was that it for today? It might be it for today. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, to well, to you then. From from me to you. Um, may God's face shine on you. Uh, and be gracious. May you mm. experience. May we all experience that. Yeah. And to be open to those sweet invitations that are in there that do come with invitations to be people who participate in what you were just talking about, being a nation of priests, um, bringing life, love, and goodness, um, bringing the very presence of God everywhere, everywhere we go. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today and listening to us ramble about uh, the priestly blessing. And if you want to engage with us at all at this point, you can head over to crossingover.substack.com and you can can comment on these and we can engage in some way, shape, or form if that's of any interest to you. So if you like this podcast, rate us. Sure. Yeah. Helps more people who are interested in this material find us. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.